This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends new cartridges before you run out. So you never have to think about ink. For details, visit hp.com slash instant ink Spotify. Conditions apply. Hello everyone, and welcome to Chapter Tactics, your 40k podcast which focuses on playing warmer 40k competitively at all levels of the game, brought to you by FrontlineGaming.org. I'm your host, Petey Pop, and with me I got Mr. Abuse Puppy, Sean. Hello everyone. And a good friend of mine down here in local San Diego, George Zathis. Sup? So, before we go on to the episode... And we talk about what we're going to be doing in the episode. I want to give out some quick announcements. Uh, first off, I will be leaving for Adepticon on Tuesday, the day after this podcast goes up. So there probably won't be an episode next week. I will bring my recording equipment with me, so I might be able to squeeze in an episode. Though I doubt it. I have a lot of stuff planned for Adepticon other than just tournaments. So we'll see. I'll, I'll play it by ear. Maybe Jeff and I will talk about the event for an hour. I don't know yet, but for now, don't plan on there being a Chapter Tactics next week. Also, I got new recording software, or uh, to be more precise, I got a subscription to a company that does podcast recording online. Um, so it's really cool. It's called uh, cast.com. It's basically, uh, it's got an easy to use interface, a room where you record. It lets you, re- it lets you edit everyone's audio individually. So instead before I'd use Skype and I would record Skype on Skype recorder, but um, I'd have to record in stereo. And then that was the only way I could I could edit audio and then blah, blah, blah. Basically, this this recording software with a subscription makes it a lot easier. So I'm really excited. Hopefully, this comes out a lot cleaner. Hopefully, the audio, um, the levels are, are leveled and, um, and you guys can hear everything. So I'm hoping for that. I'm improving. Also, I'm preparing for a lot. I've been preparing for a lot of tournaments lately. Um, and this is kind of less of an announcement, more of kind of like a cool thing I've noticed. Um, and you guys are probably going to go, duh. But... I've been actively trying to get more sleep lately whenever possible. Like I've been going to bed a little bit earlier. I've been trying to leave my phone uh, away from the bed so I don't go on the phone when I um when I'm trying to go to sleep and I've been trying to get at least 8 to 10 hours every day. Uh and I I've noticed that it's affecting my tournament performance. I went to an X-Wing tournament this weekend. I absolutely killed it. I'm not great at X-Wing. Um but I I was performing really well. I don't think I made any really big mistakes. The one game I lost, I lost to a guy who made top four at the local regionals here, a 200 person event. And I only lost to him on basically a coin flip. So, um, I, I, I think pretty good. So get some sleep guys. Basically, you want to do well, you want to get good, get some sleep. Yeah, that's something I've been saying for a long time here. I've said it in a bunch of my articles. One of the most important things to how well you do at a tournament is whether you get decent sleep. Yeah, uh, sleep makes a lot of difference. Um, So that's pretty much it. Those are for announcements. 
Sean, George, do you guys have any announcements? I would like to announce that we'll be running a pirate episode the week that Pablo is gone. We weren't going to tell him. We'll probably dose him with something after this so he forgets. (laughs) We probably won't. But, you know, it's a nice thought. I'm looking forward to that. (laughs) All right, guys. Today we're going to be talking about Tau. All things Tau. We're going to ask the basic question, are Tau still viably competitive? Uh, and what I mean by that is not are Tau competitive, because I firmly believe that a good player can make most armies and most army lists competitive um, with a little bit of trial and error and min-maxing. However, I do believe every, except for Death Watch, every faction is competitive. However, Savage. viably competitive. <laughs> Sorry, Death Watch players. Um, any Death Watch players know that are listening to this are just nodding their head. I'm 100% sure of it. But you um, say Death Watch players like there's more than one of them. Well, all five of you. You, you guys okay. all agree with me because I've talked to all five of you in That's person. Fair. But uh, uh, Tau, are they still viably competitive? Which means, are they still Tier 1? Are they still that Tau menace that destroys the casual players? Because... Let, let, let's be honest, the last two editions, last uh, two and a half editions, Tau have had a, a bit of a negative connotation to their name. If you think Tau, you think uh, shooty army, boring, no close combat, cowardly, whack, etc., etc., etc. And the reason for that is because Tau have been really good. They've, they've kind of defined the last two editions, uh, them and Eldar. Uh, and now we've, we've kind of hit this shifting point where Tau... This is this is kind of where Tau are settling in. They they have their codex, so they're no longer in limbo. I I have a feeling that we're going to be stuck with this codex for a while. So Tau players, you guys have to buckle up because this is what you're getting. This is what you're getting for the foreseeable future. And I kind of want to evaluate that because Tau have been such a monumental faction in terms of competitive 40k and especially in the last two years or in the Twitch era of competitive 40k. So I normally don't do codex reviews. And I still won't normally do codex reviews, so this doesn't mean I'm going to next week cover Blood Angels or Chaos Space Runes or whatever. I don't normally do codex reviews. I tend to stay away from them. But Tau, I think, are so instrumental to the way competitive 40k has been defined in the last two years that I feel like we have to come in here and reevaluate where they stand as a faction. Yeah, I think it's definitely worth going through. Um, I, I stand a little bit opposed to the... I guess, the generic view of Tau. People always talk about how influential Tau were in 6th and 7th edition. In 6th, yeah, I'll give them that. They were a big army. In 7th, they did not actually win nearly as many events as people think. They were kind of a gatekeeper army. Um, you, you know, if you couldn't beat that triple Riptide list, you weren't going to do anything. But triple Riptide did not stand up to Battle Company or to Yanari or to Zinch Demons. That's a that's a really good point, Sean. Um, we're also going to be talking about some tournaments covering up. The actually tournaments that are happening this weekend, right now, and that's it. So we're just going to jump into tournament news. The first tournament I want to talk about is the March Madness GT. Uh, the March Madness. Uh, it's actually an open now. It's not a GT. Congratulations, guys. Hmm. The reason why I love talking about the March Madness is because first off. It's a tournament with a large prize pool. I believe last year it was a $500 cash prize for first place. Uh, And I think it's best overall, so not best general. I'm not 100% sure, though, so don't quote me on that. Uh, This year, I imagine the the cash prize is just the same. Uh, And I've always really liked 
how the March Madness TOs ran their events. It's always more fun and laid back, even though you have this huge, large cash prize. And I think they do a really good job of not letting that cash prize define the tournament um, in the sense that there's always good sportsmanship reviews coming out of that event. We don't really have a problem. And there's not really a lot of competitive players that go to that event. So you, you would think a $500 cash prize, you'd think you'd see Nanavati's and Sean Nadins and Matt Roots. And that's actually not the case. Not to say that there are not competitive players there and that the players there are not good because they are, but you don't see top name level players there. Um, as you're going, as I'm going through the list for the March Madness GT on bestcoastpairings.com, uh, Andrew Ford is the out of the top ten. Uh, Bruce Merker, I've I've heard of Bruce does really well, um, but Andrew Ford is probably the highest rated ITC player in the top ten. I think just by looking at it, I might be wrong. I, I'm. I'm sure someone's saying, well, I'm actually two points higher than Andrew Ford, but Andrew Ford is uh, one of those perennial ITC tournament players who goes to large events and consistently does well. Um, so Andrew Ford, I would say, is probably the biggest name on the March Madness list that I see in the top 20, um, which is good. That's a good thing. There's also someone named Trash Panda. Shout, shout out <laughs> to Trash Panda for running Tau pre-codex. Um, uh, getting, that, also, yeah, getting that last hurrah with the Battlesuit Commanders, I bet. <laughs> He's... um. <laughs> He's a fun fact about Trash Panda. Out out of um, the top ten, he has the lowest ITC points by almost twenty points of everyone in the top ten because he lost round one. Um, so Trash Panda, you're the oh, man yeah. for the mastery level zero team. Um, but ultimately, you guys want to know who won? Top three: Bruce Merker won with a Lytok Eldar. I I would imagine his team name is the Wax Society. Uh, and knowing knowing Bruce and the kind of list he's run in the past, I'd imagine it's some sort of really good Eldar list, kind of your prototypical Eldar build. Um, unfortunately, I don't have access to the lists right now, guys. I'm really sorry about that. Uh, second list is Joe Guzowski with Ultramarines. Um, usually when you see Ultramarines factions, usually Gilliman, Fire Raptors, that's what I assume, though I, I, I'm hoping that it is not the case. Finally, Charles Velasquez with Orcs from Wax Society. Uh, an orc player in the top three, always nice to see. Um, probably got a very interesting orc list. Index uh, armies represent. <laughs> it's still orcs an index aren't army. As bad as people think, they're it's real, they're really good. Bad. Drowning people in boys is a uh, always been a good strategy. Yeah, yep. and 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 let's look at this interesting. So their top five is very diverse. So you have no Bruce Merker with Ally Talk, uh, Ju, Joe Gazowski with probably Fire Raptor Spam, Ultramarines. Uh, you have an Orc player, and then fourth place is Jeremy Stan with Tyranids, and fifth place you have Mike Brown with Blood Angels. So those yeah. are actually all armies that play completely differently, right? So Orc players, Orc armies tend to be a lot ho more hordy. Um, they do have maybe some Smite Spam, Psychic Spam, although that's probably less the case. Um, but Orc Orc lists tend to be more that lean towards that direction. Uh, Blood Angels lists do tend to be more alpha strikey. It's just, if you're a primary Blood Angels, you probably have a lot of points invested in Death Company and Sanguinary Garden characters. It's the way it works. Um, Tyranid and, lists are uh, all pretty standard. One other thing I would point out, uh, two Tau in the top ten. Are there two Tau in the top ten? Anthony yeah. Bell yep. and Trash Panda. <laughs> yep. Uh, good job, guys. You're representing Tau. You're already <laughs> proving that Tau belong in the top ten in the competitive scene. Clearly. <laughs> so uh just a, an interesting diverse top 10 i think there, like like you said sean there are two tau players um there are three eldar players which you'd kind of expect only one chaos player um actually no chaos players no chaos mike keys demons yes chaos demons yeah which yeah. is 
Probably got some CSM in there, I would, I would assume. Um, but yeah, uh, you a know, very diverse they top mix 10. They and match. They take their favorites. Yeah. All right. Moving on to Da Mama's Boys Brawl in Boise, Idaho. Uh, one of my teammates from Relentless D, Michael Snyder, was there with his Gene Steeler Colt list. Um, he's still running Gene Steeler Colt. Mike, I know you listen to my podcast. Just switch over to Tyranids already. I know you don't want to, but but Gene Steeler Colt, they're just... I know you want to be the only Gene Steeler Colt player in the whole world, but switch over to Tyranids already. Come on. I mean, he got second. He did get second. So so <laughs> let's go ahead and um, talk about the placement here. So in first place, we had it's, it was a five-round event. Uh, in first place, we had Mitch Pelham, um, who was running his traditional Hellhound list that you saw at the LVO. So this oh, was yes. the one with the 13. Yeah, yeah, the Artemis pattern Hellhounds. Um, you ran 13 of them. He actually lost to Michael Snyder um, on a terrain that was not favorable to Mike. So Mike, I think, just probably outplayed him that game. Um, probably got off some key charges, and and from what I understood, Mike just swarmed Hellhounds and and won by swarming Hellhounds on objectives. It's pretty mm-hmm. much how he won. So so Mitch and Mike are your top two top players, and then Matt Johansson, who is an ITC. Um, a frequent ITC player running his Inari list for Team Zero Comp, and then followed up with Colin Sherman running Blood Angels. So he's not running Guard, he's switching over to Blood Angels. Uh, Colin Sherman last year, I would have probably called him the Rookie of the Year last year, um, but he he started playing Age of Sigmar uh, actually about a year ago now um, with his kids, and then he got into ITC competitive play uh, with Mugu Legion, who's a very dominant ITC team in the Northwest. And from there, in about six months, he was already in the like top ten of the ITC. He was killing it, doing really well, beating really good players. Um, and then he kind of faltered at the end at the LVO. Um, I think he he wanted to take a little bit of a break, or maybe the grind got to him. I'm not exactly sure, but I, I would like to see how Colin does with his sophomore year. And then fifth place, Kristen Broxen with Adeptus Custodes. Um, that should really say Don Eagle Jet Bike Shield Captains, Ooh. but it's Custodes. Yeah. So, I think we'll have some people in the comments section who will have strong opinions about what a real custodies list looks like. No <laughs> true custodies. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I I'm interested to see where the where um Codex Donegal Shield Captain on Donegal Jetbike goes. Um, but for now, I I do like to see the custodies faction at least in the top tables. It's pretty cool to see the very least um at face value. So one thing I wanted to talk about before we talk about the two team tournaments that happened this weekend, uh, the March Madness GT had Whoa, 16... whoa, Pablo, hold on. Oh. You missed the real story of this event. Uh-oh. Dark Eldar got sixth place. Patrick Chin, three and two with, with Dark Eldar. Pat, good job, buddy. Mm-hmm. Very, very proud of you. You just barely missed out. It looks like you just barely missed out on a top five placement. Lost to um, Josh Stroll and Jace. I, I don't know what they were playing. Josh Stroll. He lost to uh, Raptors Space Marines, who ended up going um, 4-0-1, but did not get... Okay, so so uh, one thing I'm noticing is the, your top players are Mitch Pelham and Mike Snyder, um, who went 4-1. However, there was a 4-0-1 player, Josh Stroll, um, with 122 battle points. So they actually recorded this with battle points and not yeah, win-loss it, record. It is battle points, which is a little old-fashioned in this day yeah. and age. Hmm. Yeah. So Josh Stroll is the real winner, in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Mitch. Sorry, Mike. You guys are great, but but no, you guys didn't go. You guys didn't didn't go four zero and one. 
Uh, so, uh, all joking aside, congratulations to everyone who did really well at the, the Mama Boys Brawl. Uh, one thing I wanted to point out is there were um, a large amount of players in March Madness who went 4-1 and one or better. There was uh, 10 players who went 4-1 and one or better. Um, but for the Mama Boys Brawl, uh, there were only 5? Five, 5, from by my count. Oh, I guess Mason Moore is 4-0, and oh, but he, didn't, he probably dropped his last game. So, uh, but there were significantly less players at the Mama Boys Brawl, even though there were 47 players in the Mama Boys Brawl and 62 in March Madness. So the player disparity doesn't really match up with how many, with the disproportionate amount of players who went four and one or better. Um, so I'd like, I'd be interested to know how that happened. So if anyone who went to March Madness, uh, maybe your pairings were different. Maybe it wasn't Swiss pairings. I don't know, but that's just curious. Just a little curiosity. Moving on to the two team tournaments, there was the Overwatch ITC Team Challenge 2 uh, in New South Wales, Australia, who, of course, they always have these large events, and actually 15 teams showed up. Uh, even if you're there are three-person teams, that's a lot of people to, yeah. to have show up, with 15 teams. Um, so congratulations to the Overwatch B-grade, who won the whole thing, 5-0. And then, finally, Team Zero Comp, Team Zero Comp, and the Allies of Convenience GT in Arizona. Um, that would be Jeff, Frankie, and James Carmona dominating over there in Arizona. Right now they're playing uh, Aurelio Correa, Team Aurelio Correa. Um, <laughs> so I don't know who's in that team, but I imagine it's probably Aurelio Correa uh, and probably Don Hewson and maybe someone else. But they're playing for the gold right now. They're playing right now as we're recording, and 12 teams showed up, so 36 people. So that's cool to see some teams' tournaments doing well um, with attendance, and hopefully we'll start to see more of those. I think they're really fun. Last year, Matt, Root, Brett Perkins, and myself won the Allies of Convenience GT around this time, so nice. Um, unfortunately, I couldn't go. But it's a really fun event. Have you guys ever been in team tournaments? I've been uh, to a few of them. I was in a team league. How was that, know. George? That was awesome, actually. It was uh, five-man teams. And uh, I think it was uh, ETC style, where you put up one person, and then the next team chooses a person to play them, then they put up a person, and you put up a person to play that guy. Uh, it was back in 5th edition. We ended up winning that league by having armies with super hard auto-loss matchups and throwing a couple players under the bus every week to help the stronger armies dodge those auto-losses. Sounds like exactly what you would do at the ETC. So, yeah, that's um, kind of the name of the game right there. Oh, yeah. You guys played it perfectly. Europeans would be proud of you guys, George. <laughs> I just feel bad because I was throwing the same two guys under the bus the whole time. <laughs> were they also your worst players? <laughs> I mean, yeah, but <laughs> oh, they no. were great sports about it. And okay. I, gave them, I gave them a couple of weeks where I'm like, pick the guy you play. He's yours. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> it, it didn't help me feel better about it in retrospect. At least we took home gold. Nice. Yeah, team tournaments are a lot of fun. I, I think the the best thing about team tournaments is, is exactly that, playing with your buddies um, and then kind of just doing the best you can and cheering them on. Um, when you get a, a lower-level player and then you give him, like, the best player on their team and then he pulls out a victory or pulls out, like, a, a minor loss, um, that's usually pretty exciting. So it creates creates the, the uh, underdog scenarios. Yeah, you can get some fun, weird stuff going on at team tournaments. Yeah. So before we move on, don't forget to check out the team tournament ETC 
episode, last week's episode, uh, if you're interested to know a little bit more about how the ETC operates, or if you're wondering what exactly a team tournament is, what exactly is the ETC, I think it was a really good episode. Um, and that that's kind of cool that we had that episode, and then next week there were two team tournaments in the same weekend, two large larger team tournaments in the same weekend in, in the U.S. and in Australia. Uh, so the team tournaments are definitely picking up, and I, I highly recommend them um, for community building and just to have fun. So yeah, we're gonna go ahead and move time. on. Yeah, we're, we're gonna go ahead and move on to the Tau Codex review. Uh, this way, this is gonna break down is into two parts. We're going to talk about the Tau Codex as a whole. So we're gonna talk about the steps, the the relics, the stratagems, etc. Kind of kind of the stuff that you get with the Codex. The 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 stuff that everyone always looks forward to and and looks forward to reading and using because it's new it's different it's what the codex is all about and it's what the codex is bringing to the table in eighth edition uh so we're going to talk about that and then we're going to go into a commercial break and we're going to talk about what we what we like about the codex kind of like a good bad and ugly kind of our thoughts on it and then i think we're going to answer the question are tau competitively viable i don't know yet i've been looking through the codex all weekend trying to figure out um, what I would build, and I think I have an idea, but I'm also not a Tau player, so I might just be completely wrong, which is why I brought two career Tau players with me, Sean and George, both yeah, George Tau is a, experts. Uh, a, a Tau expert as well then, huh? Oh, I've yeah. been playing Tau since 4th edition, uh, when I jumped into 40k, okay. so I, I have followed their history. He is uh, not just a Tau expert, he is a Tau hipster. Uh, Ooh. Don't, you don't get... call me a Tau hipster. I don't wear, I don't wear glasses and drink lattes. <laughs> you, you are the Tau equivalent of a, a Tau a hipster, a Mr. Crute are better than everything else and crisis suits. There hasn't been an edition where Crute aren't one of your best units, and anybody who says they that they're bad doesn't know how this army works. Tau hipster, guys. <laughs> Immediately goes to the Crute. But Crute are pretty cool, not going to lie. So... Uh, before we go on to the Tau review, there was actually someone who already reviewed Tau. I want to give him a shout out. Jeff in Control Robinson on FrontlineGaming.org put out a video talking about the Tau Codex and reviewing it. Uh, I thought it was pretty entertaining, um, though I didn't know at the time when I watched it how how much I would agree or disagree with him because I didn't have the Tau Codex on hand. But Sean and George have listened to him. Uh, how did he do as a non-Tau player? As somebody just looking at the Codex for the first time, it was interesting to see kind of a fresh take without any previous understanding. But he also mislabeled a lot of stuff. I think <laughs> there's uh, there are things that he definitely didn't quite uh, nail on the head. But then at other times, he got things right. If I could quote him directly, uh, we have we have quite the treasure in Crute, and we should not be uh, we should not write them off. They're basically better Hormigons. Yeah, I I think what a lot of what Jeff said is good to know. He picked up on a lot of things that players who aren't going to be as familiar with the book will find important. But at the same time, there's a lot of stuff he just didn't know going through it. So, like, he doesn't really take signature systems into account when he's talking about all the suits because he doesn't know anything about that. And that's fair. Yeah, definitely one of the... Because he reviewed the codex going left to right, he saw all the unit profiles before he saw the gun profiles and the the set bonuses and the signature systems, and I think that yeah. uh, affected his review a lot. For sure. Okay. What what did you think about um, some of his predictions for the codex, or uh, uh, specifically, uh, he he um, I think he took more of a neutral stance. 
to how we thought the Tau Codex would respond to it. Um, but do you think just some of his analysis was just on point or uh, completely off base? I think it's absolutely worth listening to. I disagree with him on a lot of stuff, but, you know, if I'm being entirely honest here, I've only been playing with the book for a handful of days at this point, so maybe Jeff is totally right and I'm talking out of my ass. Okay. Right on. Yeah, we're all running on uh, low sample sizes with our experiences here, so... We are. Our, collectively, collectively, we'll, we have all played the Tau Codex, the new Tau Codex, for a few days, so mm-hmm. m- maybe a weekend. Um, so, moving on to the SEPs, uh, let's just go ahead and go in order. Uh, so, well, Sean... if if you ahead. don't mind, I would like to jump into two little details before we get to SEPs. Uh, sure. are kind of clutch to the entire Cow Codex as a whole, uh, specifically Marker Lights and the Ford of the Greater Good ability, because Tau don't get an army-wide ability in the same sense that some of the other, you know, Battle Focus or something like that. Um... Those are kind of what they get in their place, and I think those are both pretty important. Um, the marker light table, everyone is bitching about because they all remember 7th ed and 6th ed and 5th ed and 4th ed marker lights. The marker light table is fine, guys. Plus one to hit is huge this edition. Rerolling ones with plus one to hit is really good. Ignoring cover isn't the best thing in the world, but it's, it's useful. It's minus one armor save a lot of the time. Um, so, like, People are all saying, like, oh, marker lights don't even matter in 8th edition. They do. Bring your marker lights. And I think people are also really underestimating how much easier this codex is going to make getting to those higher numbers of marker lights. Yeah, Um, we'll get into that with some of the other stuff. But you can bring so many marker lights so cheaply and well protected as well that uh just you it's it's pretty reasonable to expect one marker light on almost anything you shoot at yeah so as i understand it um uh maybe you guys can help me out here i actually don't see a lot of marker lights coming out of stuff i I guess it's always because tau typically in the past have always used pathfinders um and then maybe like marker jones with a uh drone commander something like that and then that was kind of how they got their marker lights. Yeah, me if I'm wrong. And I don't want to spoil too much because we got a lot. We're going to be talking about a bunch of these okay. other units and stratagems later. But basically, uh, the response to that is that's not how they do it anymore. Um, okay, you're not going to cool. see three units of you know ten marker drones floating around the table nearly so much. It doesn't mean you won't ever see them, but that's not their primary source of marker lights these days. Okay, so uh, is there anything else you wanted to add before we begin? Uh, the other half of this would be for the greater good, uh, the the old supporting fire, uh, which is kind of the universal Tau ability. Um, just always remember you've got that, and it makes it so that charging Tau is often just super suicidal, uh, which actually kind of leads fairly well into our SEP discussion here, because number one on the, the list of SEPs is obviously Tau Sept. The worst named, but arguably best sets. <laughs> so, so this one you Overwatch on a five plus. Uh, yeah. That's I, I can't emphasize how good that is. Just just in general, it, just in this edition, it doubles um, your number of average hits on an Overwatch attack. Exactly, that's enormous. Yeah, and and with good positioning, uh, due to the uh, further greater good to cover your other units with Overwatch from nearby units, mm-hmm. you can almost have extra shooting phases when you get charged. It basically is. Like, it is pretty reasonable to have three to four units 
overwatching anything that charges you and we're not talking like five man fire warriors we're talking battle suit units we're talking you know bigger vehicles and stuff like that you can throw buckets of dice at anything that charges you and that's how tau live through charges uh people can't afford to charge you from 10 inches away they'll just die and uh you also get the benefits of any marker lights you manage to tag them with on the way in. So what you'll see a lot of top players do is sometimes shoot marker lights in the first round of overwatches to try and get reroll ones for subsequent overwatches for that uh, that unit that's charging in. Yes, although it is worth pointing out that the plus one to hit does not apply to overwatch as overwatch ignores all modifiers. You're just looking for that one overwatch marker light hit and then move on to regular guns. Yeah. The other really big thing about Tau Sept that uh, is very easy to overlook is almost all of the named characters in Tau are Tau Sept, and there are several very good ones. Shadow Sun, yeah, probably not, but Long Strike, solid. Dark Strider, excellence. And maybe you want to bring Aunva, like maybe you really like a Space Pope, but if you're looking at taking a named character, they're pretty much all Tau Sept. So, Taucep gives you the options to bring those characters along if you want them, and none of the other Seps really do. And that's especially important uh, because of uh, the kind of restrictions Tau have on their HQs, where you're going to find that you'll be spamming the same HQs over and over. Um, and having access to these characters lets you kind of diversify what you're... HQ units do, so you don't have to bring, say, like, five Cadre Fireblades just to meet the minimum requirements <laughs> of your uh, detachments. Yeah, Rest if it's peace. not... If it's not Commanders. obvious to anyone who hasn't, like, glanced through the book or anything, Tau are bringing three detachments to every army they take. Um, partially for commanders, but partially for other reasons. Nice. Uh, so let's talk about Dal... Dal... Dalith? Dalith? Yeah. I, I'm gonna say Dalith. All of these town Ooh. names are like Dal Yeath sounds good. I like sounds Dal like bread. <laughs> yeah, let the Dal Yeath rise for twenty five minutes. Yeah, so so Dal Yeath, I, I think this might be the worst one, um, just because that ability in general is not is not the best. So it's you ignore cover, um, or you you get cover as long as you as stay long still. as you do not make any movements of any kind in any phase on your turn and. I think whether this is good or bad is going to depend entirely on the FAQ, because as written, it may not apply if you're going second. Um, you know, if the, fir the first turn of the game when you are the second player. If it does apply that first turn, I think it's fine. Uh, people don't really realize how much of a difference that can make because like that's turning all of your tanks into two up saves that's turning pretty much all your battle suits into two up saves or better you know, like one ups on your riptides and your broadsides that's actually pretty big uh, because that means even those las cannons are needing like fours or fives to save um, so that's a really big bonus if it works the problem is 8th edition is a game of mobility, yep. you want to be moving, and that means you're not getting your ability a lot of time. But, on the other hand, some of their units are fairly static, and sometimes you can afford to just sit still on objectives for a turn or two. So, yeah. I think people have underestimated Dal Yeath if it works on the first turn, because it gives you defense against an Alpha Strike, and Alpha Strikes are big. And reading it, I, I don't see a reason why it wouldn't, um, because it, um, it, it... Well, it's by raw, it definitely doesn't. 
because it's a. Uh, it's, I, it's. I don't think we need pretty, to get into yeah. the all of that. It it doesn't yeah. matter what the text says. What matters is what the FAQ that comes out in a week and a half says. Exactly. Um, so uh, I actually really like this uh, set. Of course, pending the FAQ, if you're deciding to go eggs in one basket and throwing a storm surge or two in, it's pretty hard to get that thing a cover save. Yeah. Uh, and so, and that thing is extremely immobile. So if you want to go the, you know, monster mash tower out, not the bad, not the worst idea in the world. It's also really good, I think, for fire warriors. Seven points for a guy with a three up save. That's solid. It depends yeah. on how you're running your fire warriors. It's I could definitely see it in a more static gunliney army. There's some real yeah. benefit to that. That's kind yeah. of what Dalyth wants to do, I think. But whether it's whether it's useful or not is really hard to say at this point because there's just like that you know whether or not you get it the first turn is such a huge thing. Yeah. So so let's talk about sa. sa I'm gonna I'm gonna guess this one. Sasia. Sasia or Sasia. I'm not sure where you put uh, the emphasis, I'm, but I'm partial to Sakaya. Ah. Uh, I see. I don't. I think Tao uses the soft C in all of theirs. Uh, I don't think they have the same overlap that English does. But I don't quote me on that. I'm sure there's someone on Lexiconum who will tell me I'm wrong. I don't think yeah. we have any Tao linguists in the uh, podcast here. Not, yeah. not Although yet. Although they do put a little Tao linguistic section in the codex, which I appreciate. Oh, nice. Uh, so, yeah. so let's talk about this one. So th this one I, is really powerful. Um, you get to reroll one failed to hit roll per unit. Per um, unit and you get, per turn, yes. Per unit, yeah. Per unit per turn, uh, plus, and you get plus one leadership. Um, that's 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 really good because you can do it in Overwatch too, right? So can you? I thought I it was only you, on your uh, own shooting was, phase. I thought it was. It once says per in turn. in the shooting phase. Oh, okay, never yeah. mind. Yeah, uh, but it's still very strong. Like, yeah, it's worse than salamanders, but it applies to everything, which you will hear the Space Marine players bitch about to no doubt. But um, rerolling one miss per turn is really big because Tau have a lot of units with one strong gun and a couple weaker guns, or, you know, one important gun in the unit and a couple less important ones. Uh, and this can really ensure that that one marker light in your fire warrior squad hits or whatever. Yeah, and that and that's 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 important because if you're taking a tau, and I think you will be taking tau armies like this. But if you take a tau army with 15 individual units in it, they're probably all going to be shooting. So mm -hmm. that's 15 rerolls a turn, six turns. That's 90 free rerolls. Yeah, that's yep. that's pretty good. That that could be the difference between killing us uh riptide or land raider by the end of the game and not um so depending on how how well you use it uh so i think it's i think it's pretty big um for sure and it's, obviously the plus one leadership is is the plus new. one leadership is really nice because uh -oh. on your your minimum size five man units that means they can no longer fail morale uh thanks to one of the oh. other tau special rules the bonding knife uh that means you automatically pass morale on a six so with that your five man unit loses four guys still fine you can't fail. Um, that That is a nice little advantage. And actually, something else that another person pointed out to me recently, uh, the plus one leadership on an ethereal means he shares that with everyone nearby, which, you know, is not real exciting until you start mixing septs, because you can do that. The ethereal's buff applies to any sept, not just his own. Mm -hmm. Okay. So so that then that can really help out... Um... Like marker drones from the from the 
other yeah, stuff. Almost, or, yeah, almost I get anything, it. honestly. Yeah, uh, sharing that leadership 10 out to anyone within six inches of them is a pretty nice little trick, and ethereals are not that bad these days. Okay, so I, th I think, let's moving on to Borcon, um, I think we have different opinions on this one. Um, I, I know... I, reading through the notes, Sean. I know you're not you're not super high on it. However, I I find a lot of things that could really benefit from it. So it's it's plus six range to things with rapid fire and heavy weapons um, in the yeah. shooting phase. The uh, problem is Tower very schizophrenic about their weapon types. They have a fair number of rapid fire and heavy weapons, but they also have a lot of assault guns. So I kind of go back and forth on it. I don't dislike it. There's some units it's fantastic on, but there's a lot of units it just doesn't apply to. Yeah, Borkan to me seems like the the pick of choice if you're uh, running maybe more of an aggressive fire warrior list, because adding six inches to that uh, rapid fire range uh, is going to yeah. add three inches to the range at which you get the extra shot. Which combined with fire is that's no joke. Yeah, and when you combine it with some other uh, drones that you can get from other sources in the codex, you can push that rapid fire three shots range out to twenty one inches, which is surprisingly long reach. Well, that's the range of most other people's basic guns, basically. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I I really like it. I th I think I think um it complements some of the best units that Tau can bring to the table. Um, in obviously Fire Warriors with Kaji Fireblades and the Ivara, um, which is primarily the one I, I I always think about with the the six inch range flame or the eighteen inch range flame. Ivara is prepared to have that invade your tables, everybody. Yeah, uh, top oh, players yeah. will most likely be flocking to Forge World quite well, soon if they have. So here's so here's the thing. I've been running some numbers recently. The Ivara shooting infantry targets no more efficient than a Riptide. Hmm. Uh, but if you were shooting vehicle targets or monsters or stuff, those three damage guns start coming through. So, like, against a, uh, a you know, a squad of basic marines, even primaris marines, because the riptide has damage too on most of its guns, um, the riptide is point for point about as good as the Avara. Well, against a target with more than two wounds, the Avara, like, triples in efficiency compared to a riptide. Yeah. Well, here's where the Avara shines. Um, the Ivara kills characters dead. Shield captain on jet bike dead. Maybe yeah. maybe survives with three. Maybe survives with two wounds. Maybe, Ooh, but maybe. They, they have that's, they have they only a, have six sketchy. wounds. So so the the Ivara is powerful in the sense that it can hunt and kill characters and mobile characters, um, character spam armies. Uh, you don't yeah. have to worry about a Klexus assassin because you're auto hitting because you have a flamer. Um, mm -hmm. That's tons of damage. You don't have to worry about the Down Eagle jet bikes or anything pretty much hitting you and charging you. The Ivar is perfect for sniping because it's mobile and because it has that 18-inch range flamer. It can drop down and snipe characters if you're not careful. And lo and behold, you have a Tau army perfect for killing and clearing hordes and bu bubble wrap for your Ivar to come down and kill characters. So it's it's actually a phenomenal Swiss army knife Um for dealing with the meta, it might maybe in a vacuum. If you were to take all of Eighth Edition, it might not be as good. But I, I, I think about my list, and I think about something like an Ivara, just killing a, a Custodes jet bike a turn, and, and I'd have no response to that because because Celestine isn't going to go in there and kill the Ivara. That's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. uh, the Ivara will run away, flame Celestine, maybe make her teleport somewhere and kill her, knock her down, um, or he can run away because he has the fly keyword and kill another character. Um, and I, I don't see myself having an answer to the Ivara short of gangbanging it with like five characters. Yeah, don't don't get me wrong. I'm not saying the Ivara is 
bad. No, I'm no, just saying it's I not know. the auto pick that some people seem to think it is. I, I think I think in this meta, I think it is an auto pick. I think you want at least one. Um, but we'll see. It, yeah, well, I yeah. agree. We'll we'll see. Uh, the I other thing I, I really like about Borkon is um, it makes smart missile systems really good. Thirty-six inch range smart missile systems on broadsides, hundred and forty points. Um, 150 points with the extra rend. So you have uh, essentially eight heavy bolter shots at 36 inch range that ignore cover and ignore line of sight. Yeah, it's not bad. It could really help out in terms of killing scouts and little things that like to hide on objectives. One of the other secret bonuses to Borkan is the uh, storm surge with the pulsed blast cannon. Uh, the six-inch bonus applies to its three different fire modes on that, so they become 16, 26, and 36, rather than 10, 20, 30, and that's a pretty big difference there as well. Mm. Uh, it, uh, so, yeah. Viorla. Viorla. The coolest name, I think, in my opinion. Um, this is, uh, you advance and shoot normal. Um, you can and... advance and shoot assault weapons as well. Oh, normal, sorry, assault weapons. Or you can advance sorry. and shoot rapid fire weapons at minus one. Yes. Uh, I I don't know. I was looking through the codex. I couldn't find anything that would be amazing for this, except maybe like commanders, which are. Well, so the Cold Star Commander is an obvious one. I mean, everyone's talking about that guy these days. But Breachers, really good for them surprisingly good for fire warriors it makes you really mobile especially if you've got an ethereal nearby for that roll two dice take the best on advance um most tau like i was saying before a lot of tau guns are assault almost everything a crisis suit can get is an assault weapon um in fact a lot of the suit weapons are all the weapons you can get on stealth suits are assaults there's there's a lot of assault guns in the tau codex yeah i really like the vorla sept for maybe uh exploring other options with your fire warriors if you want to use vorla for a super fast fire warrior unit that uses uh pulse carbines then this is the one to use with them because when I you just, uh when I you advance defend, with them i can't defend pulse carbines it's with breachers around <laughs> yeah breachers so are, are way better um but you do get two shots with the pulse carbines the nice thing is if you want to you take two a lot shots of with a breacher too uh, true story. Yeah, um, breachers are just so much better than pulse carbines that yeah. I just I can't recommend them for anything these days. But if you have a bunch of breachers, are really you get good. some value too. Yeah, sure. The pulse carbine itself is yeah. a fine gun. It's just it's garbage on a fire warrior. Mm. Yeah, agreed. It. Maybe okay. not the best for the fire warriors. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I think Viorla is going to open some alternative builds because like like we've been saying we've mentioned strike teams a lot with their their pulse rifles but if you want to play a more aggressive army viorla has some possibilities okay and then finally uh my personal favorite um even though it's probably not the best one uh the farsight sept uh you reroll one's doing within six inches of enemy models it only applies to shooting, not to melee, which feels yes. a little weird given the fluff of Farsight. But it is what it is, I guess. If it was, if it was in melee as well, I think it would actually be really powerful. Um, I would certainly like it more. Yeah. Because yeah. I think. Go, go ahead. Uh, it's to me, Farsight feels like a slightly different version of Viorla in a lot of ways. It encourages you to get in on top of the enemy and do your work up close, which encourages a lot of those same units that Viorla wants to be using, uh, but in a different kind of way. Okay. It, so, good. Uh, there's... 
there are many of those same units that do like it. Uh, you know, the ones I've thought about is like anything that's wounding on threes. So your fusion blasters, uh, your pulse weapons against infantry targets, stuff like that, really likes that farsight bonus because threes rerolling ones is super reliable, and you just don't see a lot of armies with massed rerolls to wound very often. You know, that's one of the biggest things Space Marines have to offer. Uh, but you've got to get really close, and they do not have a built-in way to get out of combat with a lot of their units. So, you know, your breachers, if they don't kill the target when they go in, they're done. They're going to get into combat, and they're going to get ground down. So, I think Farsight might be the worst of the Sept bonuses. Yeah, you can make that argument. But... I think you will see Tau armies running splashes of other septs. Every Tau army is going to have three detachments in it. You're probably going to see one big detachment of something and then two smaller detachments of other things. And I think you'll see a fair number of armies running a small Farsight detachment uh, because Fusion that rerolls ones to wound, pretty strong on that Cold Star. Uh, and they've got some other stuff going for them as well that we'll talk about a little later once we get to the relics and all that. Also, uh, also pretty strong for the cyclic ion blasters, which uh, already yeah. a great gun have become uh, far and away one of your best battle suit options. Yes. Yeah, we're going to talk about the the ion blaster a little bit later, but that thing is out of control. Yeah. So before we move on to the stratagems, um, I think you're right about the far side enclave. One thing I wanted to point out to um, GW and the developing team is I, I don't really like how the far side. Uh, sept rule doesn't synergize with their stratagem at all very well because um, yeah. obviously the stratagems you deep strike crisis suits down and they get better when they shoot however when they deep strike down they'll never be within six inches of an enemy unit nope it's uh, impossible to do that the right. they land uh yeah, Dalyith so, has this same problem that yep. their sept bonus wants them to stay still and their stratagem lets them move on their own turn which is like hey guys those don't both work I yeah, get that it, it's very fluffy in what they do, but no, they don't work at all. No, yeah, uh, and and I appreciate I appreciate what, what GW's done with this stratagems. The other, I'm sorry, these sept rules. Uh, they're very exception to the faction specific rules that Tyranids have, in the sense that the Tyranids don't have a must take. And in my opinion, I, I think they have three mm -hmm. really strong ones, um, but they don't have like an auto take. Like with Space Marines, Raven Guard are. are Almost an auto take, depending on your army. Yeah. Raven, um, Raven Guard, Alpha or Legion, Alpha Legion. Talk. No one takes anything else. <laughs> right, right, because they're mm -hmm. so powerful. Um, but the Tyranid Codex and the Tau Codex are very similar in the sense that they have solid. They have more solid ones than bad ones. And um, you do want to mix matches, Sean. You were saying uh, mm -hmm. I definitely could see that, especially because you want to max your commanders. I think that's very important if you're playing competitive Tau. Yeah. Um, so uh, it, there's there's different niches in each of these and i think that's pretty cool but ultimately these are worse than the tyranid ones i i think i don't know i think <laughs> they're getting a bit of a bad rep overall uh it remains to be seen i think that the tau and sasia sap bonuses are quite strong and people are completely underestimating how good they are but We'll see once the tournaments start happening and people mm -hmm. start playing Tau. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm not quite so sold on uh, Sasia, but uh, I think Tau and Borkhan are are also 
I think those are my two top picks for the standouts. I, I would put Tau Saucy and Borkon as the top three. Which yeah. one you pick as your top is going to vary from person to person. But I think those are all very solid choices. Yep. Yeah. So let's go ahead and talk about the uh, stratagems really quick. Uh, I, we're not going to go over every single stratagem. Um, let's just going to yeah. go over the like the uncommon ones or the the ones that every codex doesn't have. It's like I we're think, not going to talk about the, the relic one. Well, there's a lot of them that are strong enough to pick out. Uh, one interesting thing that they did was they basically moved a lot of the old relics into stratagems. Mm -hmm. uh, so stuff like the Neuroweb Jammer and that all became stratagems. So there are like. 10 different stratagems that are all like pick a commander and then do a thing to a unit within a certain range of them. Um, most of them are not like super strong, but you have, like I said, almost a dozen of these weird little neat solutions that are all pretty solid stuff. Neuroweb Jammer specifically Neuro is it's yeah uh, pick pick a unit with an eighteen inches of commander give them minus one to hit at the start of the enemy shooting phase that's big minus one yeah. to hit are really useful and for two command points that's that's not a bad deal no it could really mess with your opponent's math and if they spend their entire army shooting one unit to kill it because it's minus one or minus two to hit if you're ghost kill I guess minus three minus to three hit. for yeah. four ghost kill yeah um. It could really mess with your opponent's stratagem, uh, especially if they need the kill or strategy, uh, especially if they need to kill that unit. Yeah, it's and it's really good against those like huge blocks of very strong units. So that like thirty man horror unit that you're like, nah, minus one to hit. Um, which in that respect, it's actually better than the Eldar version uh, because it you target a single unit that gets minus one to hit anything it shoots at, as opposed to choosing one of your own units. Then anything that shoots at it gets minus one. Um, so one I like is the command and control node. Uh, that's just one I was thinking about. It, it it speaks back to the the days of sixth edition when you had a commander who wouldn't shoot and he would just give your give you full re free rerolls to your unit or the unit that he joined. Um, it's obviously not that good. Um, but I think rerolling failed wound rolls for Tau is really powerful. Um, because yep. it ensures that all of your the few hits that you do get in you you're you're definitely wounding with um, and like you guys said a lot of weapons are wounding on threes and twos across the board for Tau that's always kind of been their thing mm -hmm. um, so getting pretty much guaranteed wounds is uh, powerful um, for one command point that's that's the cool thing it's a little bit tricky because you are giving up shooting with a commander which yes. typically a commander is equipped with some very strong guns but there's there's certainly times when you would want to do it, and you have to have a unit that's good enough to give those rerolls to, which typically means a you know a unit of multiple broadsides or a riptide or something like that. Uh, but I do agree that that is one of those stratagems that has some possibilities, and I've seen some people trying to do stuff with like a farsight unit of nine crisis, just getting suited up with the neuroweb or not the neuroweb, the command control node for reroll wounds, the uh, ignore cover from the multi-spectrum sensor, uh, and just all of these bonuses stacked together on a huge block of nine crisis. I don't think it's going to be competitive, but it's an interesting thought, and you know, it's the sort of thing that it's like, okay, this is something we can actually do with this. Yeah, and you're right. You can. I can definitely see someone spending points for a min 
command Tau Commander, a Farsight Enclave's Tau Commander, and then dropping command control node on the nine crisis suits, a drop zone clear, so they're re-rolling hit rolls, uh, drop some marker lights down so they get plus one to hit, um, and just obliterating one thing, or several things. Um, I think that's a really powerful Apple Strike. It's obviously, it's around a thousand points. Um, <laughs> it's it's <laughs> a little more points just for the crisis. Yes. Um, but if you want, if you're one of those Tau players who really wants to do that, uh, go ahead. And also, you can kit out that commander. Like that, that's still okay. I know he won't shoot on your shooting phase, but he will be able to Overwatch on your or on your uh, on your opponent's turn. Um, yeah, and we'll uh, we'll have some yeah. stuff to say about commanders later as well. So we probably shouldn't dig into that too far. Okay, uh, but Fair just enough. just as a final note on the command and control note, uh, if you are deciding to run any of the Tau special character commanders. Their damage output is uh, quite a bit lower than the build-your-own commanders for shooting, yeah. and I think that is uh, probably one of the best uh, commanders to have tell your battlesuit unit to go crazy. Yeah, if you're yeah. having, you know, Rely or Ramir or Farsight or Shadow, or Shadow Sun, Sun give yeah. up their shooting, you're not losing a lot. So what are some stratagems that really stood out to you guys? I'm a big fan of Recon Sweep, which is a strategy... Really? Uh, okay. I if your pathfinders live through that much of the game, um, I think there's a real value. So to go over what the stratagem does, it's one command point, and you use it during your shooting phase, and your pathfinder unit immediately moves two d six inches. And in missions where you need to get someplace fast, um, a unit that moves seven, you can have them advance d six and then throw another 2d6 at that move. I just think that's a lot of unexpected speed that's going to catch people off guard to get to an objective. Unfortunately, yeah. Pathfinders are like public enemy number one, so they They're might so all fragile. be dead, because they have a 5-plus save, toughness 3, and they shoot marker lights, so most people notice that and uh, separate their heads from their bodies. But... <laughs> yeah. Um, if you have any lying around, that extra burst of speed can get you places people weren't ready for you to be to score points that they didn't think you were going to get. Well, well, here's here's what I like about it, and I agree with you, George. It was one of the ones that stood out with me, is you can advance still. So you have a 7-inch move, and you advance. Uh, essentially, you move 7 plus 3d6 inches um, with a reroll, with a command reroll if you desperately need it. Oh, you um, get two command rerolls because the advance roll is a different phase than the recon sweep. You're right. So you get yeah, two although years. throwing four <laughs> command points into that is... It's probably not worth it, but... Yeah, Hold on. I'm, I'm going <laughs> to but... play devil's advocate here. <laughs> In addition to the problems George has already brought up with your Pathfinders all being dead, you kind of want those guys shooting? No. <laughs> so, yeah, you so, do, so, because it so, turns out the reason people want to kill Pathfinders is because marker lights are good. So, so let me finish. So, so you have this group of Pathfinders, right? Um, you can give them a minus one to hit, right? I think. No, no. No, no, no you can't. No, never mind. So, so, so moving on. So <laughs> typically... Uh, the way 8th edition works is it, it does tend to be more character focused. Uh, now, if you were to put a unit of of maybe one or two surviving pathfinders or models um, in range of a commander so that they're blocking for that commander so the commander can't be shot at, and you've put them like in a corner in ruins. Uh, I'm not saying this is going to happen every game, but if you're at like the LVO where you have dense ruins on the table everywhere, this could be really good because you could essentially hop a building and, and block for your characters with untargetable units unless 
of course your opponent has line of sight blocking or line of sight ignoring shooting then your pathfinders are dead anyways um but this could this could be something that uh, kind of like a little trump card um you could swarm objectives if you're sniping objectives at the end of the game um you could play really cagey with your pathfinders you could even have just one like tw- i don't know what the largest pathfinder unit you can have is 10 man 10 you could have one 10 mm-hmm. man unit in the middle of the board uh, as a trump card and give them pulse carbines and really kind of like joke about like oh i couldn't afford marker lights or i, I don't really like marker lights on these guys the marker and then light is mandatory and so is the pulse well, carbine you know, you know what you know what guys <laughs> I, I'm, I'm fishing for straws here i really it's... liked it because i would like my scouts to move that many inches because scouts yeah. do the same thing and in, in, i won't in the say sense. you'll never use it sometimes you will need to fling a unit across the board right and if you can take an objective and win the game off it obviously that's good right uh but i think it's a very niche stratagem yeah scouts are also obsec so that yeah. was that was yeah. my thing is yeah. if i could move if you could tell me that my move my scouts can move six plus three d six inches oh, even yeah. one scout it's... i would do it if but, we could get that for scouts, then it would be fantastic. But Pathfinders right. are a very different unit than scouts. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, that's it. I'm done. Uh, Tau, non-Tau player out. <laughs> okay, so so here's my little, maybe it's not great, but it's still what I like uh, stratagem, is the EMP grenade. Uh, you, When you are throwing one of your photon grenades, which if people don't know, Tau have photon grenades. They are... <laughs> They don't do any damage, but they give you minus one to hit for the remainder of the turn. Usually only useful on Overwatch, but occasionally other times. Uh, but an EMP grenade, you toss it a vehicle, it does D3 mortal wounds if it hits. Uh, the reason this is important is basically twofold, because A, uh, EMP grenades are 12-inch range, much longer than most grenades, and B many of their HQs do get them. So your Cadre Fireblades, your Dark Striders, and whatnot come with EMP grenades. So you have that two-up ballistic skill, you you toss an EMP grenade onto a vehicle, that's D3 Mortal Wounds. That's not a lot, but it's D3 Mortal Wounds off a guy that no one thought was going to do anything. Holy crap, photon grenades are amazing. They're solid. They're um, solid, yeah. You could... You could... Throw that on a cultist bomb. Is there a way to shoot? Is there a way to... Do they still have early warning override uh, somewhere in here? Yes. Uh, yes, but not on the infantry models that can take the yeah, grenades. No one has both photon grenades and uh, the ability to get an early warning override. Darn, because I was um, thinking if you could do that, you could early warning override cultist bombs that come down and then just give them a minus one to hit and be like, you just, Ha-ha. You just throw it during Overwatch. Yeah, well, well, you could do that before they preemptively before they get a chance to shoot you when they drop down because they're sure. gonna beta or alpha strike you. So you could just be like, "Haha, photon grenade," and then they're hitting on fours, not threes. So we could be, anyways. Photon grenades look yeah. pretty good. Fo- photon grenades <clears throat> and the MP grenade stratagem are solid little additions to things. Uh, it's another one of those one CP stratagems to keep in your back pocket because sometimes you'll need to do some wounds to a vehicle. Uh, yeah. Yep. I'm also a big fan of the stimulant injector stratagem. For Quite just good. one command point, you get to take your big shooty monster with a degrading profile that makes you bad at shooting and ignore the negatives to shooting. Yes. Yeah. It's uh, awesome. It keeps for your shooting guys. And storm surges, it's huge. Uh, I don't think it works on storm surges. I don't think they're battle suits. Oh, that's true. Yeah, storm they're surges. not actually battle suits. Yep. Uh, it's yeah. you're going to be primarily using this on your riptides and your uh, ghost keels if you're bringing any ghost keels. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, they're really good on, mm. uh, extremely good on ghost keels. Uh, yeah, it. But 
again, one CP stratagem, keep it in your back pocket. Maybe you don't need it. Every once in a while, it's going to save your bacon. I think that is kind of like the party line for a lot of the Tau stratagem is all of these just cheap little utility stratagems that they have everywhere. Yeah, they're, they're actually very uh, stratagem or command point st heavy or thirsty. Um, I didn't think they yeah. were at first, but I was talking to a friend. Oh, no. And, oh. and he was like, yeah, I need like 15 command points. And I was like, why? And he was just going through all the stratagems that he wanted to do. Uh, and mm -hmm. they're very, they're, they have a Swiss Army Knife suite of stratagems. They have a really good stratagem suite, actually. Um, they, but like, I think they do, yeah. 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 Uh, you can use automated repair system on your ghost kills twice um, before your opponent gets to shoot. So if your opponent shoots at a ghost kill, brings it down to half health, you heal it at the start of your turn. And then when your ghost kill does its thing, you heal it at the start of your opponent's turn. That's four command points, but your ghost kill just healed 2d3 wounds on a model wow. that could potentially be a minus three to hit. That's that's crazy. And that that's one ghost kill. Uh, it's really hard to kill. It might be a linchpin model. So it's just, yeah. it, they've, they've got a lot of stuff like that. They've got a ton of tricks. A big part of the difference between a good Tau player and a bad Plow player with the new codex is going to be where they spend their command points. I agree. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I think you're going to be seeing a lot of Tau Battalions uh, just to cash oh, in on that. Brigade. Yeah. Oh, that's what I meant. The Brigade. The big one. Yeah, the yeah. big one. Nine command points. Nine command points. Tau have a decent number of um, cheap options for a number of their uh, slots in the Brigade to, uh, wrong. to fill I them I think up. Tau have the cheapest Brigade in the game. Uh, mono faction brigade, we'll say. Do they have counting? Do Imperium. they still have single model crisis suit teams? No, you have no, to take. They them have much better three. than that. You get to um, take me. So you have a forty-two point HQ, a thirty-five point troop, a twenty-four point elite, a fifty-four point heavy, and a sixteen point fast attack. Oh dear God! I don't think anyone else can beat that. That's like a five hundred point brigade. Yeah, it's absurd. Yeah, yeah renegades fill out a brigade for nothing. For, Forge World renegades can do that, um, but oh, that's yeah. it. That's yeah, it. Uh, it's but the, it's crazy. Yeah. Wow. Uh, so uh, so so I could definitely see people taking a fi like a five hundred point brigade and then just using that as a mash of models in one spot. You'll, you'll <laughs> probably take a much more expensive brigade than that because you want to put some real models on it, not just like garbage sacks, but. <laughs> The point is you can start a brigade at that and then pay, pay the additional points to, you know, put some good models in it in place of those. You could definitely uh, And you're that. still coming in at 900, 1,000, 1,200 points for a full brigade. Yeah, and then you just do cheap battalion detachments with, with troop choices and commanders. Yeah. Uh, and You've uh, got a lot of... Whatever else you want your army to do. We, yeah. we have gotten a little off the, the stratagems part here, but yeah. yes, Tau have access to a lot of command points, and yes, they can use them. Nice. Um, so let's talk about these faction-specific stratagems. Um, there's actually one more stratagem that we have kind of skipped over that I really want to mention. Uh, it's the one everyone knows, the uplinked marker light stratagem. Oh yeah, we have to talk oh. about that one. It's <laughs> exactly the same as it was before in the index and out of chapter approved. You're going to use it every single turn. It's when you hit with a marker light, instead of getting one, you get D3 plus one. That means that your solo marker lights are actually doing a lot of work. It's great for starting that marker light chain, and it's great for getting to five hits on something. Yeah. Yeah. You yep. Cadre Fireblades love it. I mean, yes. your Cadre Fireblade is shooting potentially four marker lights on a two plus. Mm -hmm. like, that's not to like. 
It's it's a great stratagem. There's not many turns where you won't activate it. I agree. Um, and uh, do you think do you think that uh, stratagem alone is enough to boost the marker light game for Tau? Because I remember we were talking about that it's, earlier. It's a big part of it. Uh, like okay. like we were saying that you know Tau marker lights don't just come from their pathfinders, their marker drones, etc. They have a lot of characters with marker lights, they have a lot of units with hidden marker lights these days, and they have several stratagems, uplink marker lights being one of the big ones, that allow them to generate marker light hits very easily. And if you actually look at the Tau Index armies uh, that some of the folks like Paul McKelvey, who is a very good Tau player and knows his shit, um, this is how they're generating marker light hits. Is there, yeah, they're taking some some little guys that are putting out marker lights, but they're also taking a lot of characters and strategies like that sort of thing to generate their hits. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about focus fire. Cause, um, so let's talk Thanks. about one of the best stratagems in this book. <laughs> uh, I think, I think it's, uh, it's like the ca- the chaos base ring when it gives a uh, plus one to wound to a shooting attack. I think it's, it's only a shooting attack though. So it's worth sort of talking through. It's three command points. Yep. It is be. Tau Sept only, and it mm-hmm. only benefits Tau Sept models. Uh, and it requires you to do an unsaved wound to an enemy model to trigger it. Oh, okay. And at that point, you use the stratagem, and every other Tau Sept unit that attacks it this phase gets plus one to wound against it. And yes. plus one to wound is gigantic. I mean... It- yeah, if you're focusing on a big target, this will kill it. Yeah, it works well for like rail rail rifles are are my obvious choice for plus one to wound being good. Um, they're because they're the obvious choice. They're yeah. honestly not what's going to get the most mileage out of it. It's going to be all your little pulse guns. Oh yeah, uh, all those strength five things that are now wounding. You know that blob of berserkers on twos, or that are wounding the huge target like Magnus on fours. Like your basic troops are wounding Magnus on fours. That's and gonna they're hurt. And they're shooting three times each. Yeah, this yeah. is this is how Tau will clear big units, and they need it to clear big units. But this is how they will do it. Yeah, the, and you're right. The things like um, big scary things like Magnus um, are obviously a perfect example. Um, mm-hmm. But you, you've also got options for breachers. Um, yep. I, I was thinking about a really fun list if I were a Tau player. I'd run uh, Devilfish with with two five man breacher squads in them, or two. Two six-man breacher squads in five them. Five-man is your minimum, five, but five you could man. fit so, six if you wanted to. Yeah, so so with breachers in them, and then run those up the board at you, uh, and then all you need to do is have like one broadside or just one model wound that thing that you want to kill, the big guy, uh, and then unload all your breachers into them. The breachers are going to kill, I think, anything in the game with plus one to wound, I think. And all the other bonuses tell uh, there's, there's, there's a lot of invul save tough units in the game. I don't know. There there's are, not, and there's that's no actually... more two-up re-rollables. So. No, it's not that this isn't seventh edition, but there are yeah. some very tough units with like four up and three up invulns, your shield captains, your magnuses, etc. Oh, they, they will kill a shield captain, no doubt. I if, if a squad of with if enough a, of them, yeah. If 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 uh, twenty breachers can kill Gilliman, um, and knock him down from from max health, uh, I believe that that they can kill anything in the game with with the bonuses that Tal get now. Yes, um, you just need to fit twenty breachers within five inches of that guy, which. 
Well, I ball. walked in. To, to be fair, when I played the Tau player, I didn't know what Breachers did. Um, <laughs> no, this is yeah. the beginning of 8th edition. <laughs> and my Gilliman walked right next to his two Devilfish, and Gilliman's like, la da 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 I'm just going to ignore these Devilfish. And then he unloaded Breachers, and I was like, those are Fire Warriors, right? And he's like, no, they're Breachers. Let me let me show you what they do. And when, Here, have when a he showed me, <laughs> he, killed, he knocked Gilliman down, who promptly got back up and slaughtered them all. But... Um, <laughs> Hence the problem with breachers. <laughs> yes, yep. that that is true. But uh, I, I was just appalled that ever since then I've always wanted to use breachers in some capacity. Oh, I think but they're good. It, I've been playing around with them myself. It, it's an amazing strategy. It is. Yeah. It's it's good. Uh, well, if we're talking about really really good septlink stratagems, orbital mar- marker distribution uplink for Sasia is, I think, another really huge component. It, so. Uh, it's oh, not cheap, but uh, so again to go through it real quick. Two command points, a little on the pricey side. Um, pick one of your Saucia characters. They choose a unit that is visible to them. That unit gets a marker light counter, and so does every other unit within six inches of them. And that can be a lot of marker light counters if you target like a big blob or something, or if someone or all has their unit stacked up. Because a lot of people are sloppy with where they put their units in 8th edition. And if you generate like 5, 6, 8, 10 marker light counters off this thing, that can make kind of a difference. Yeah, I could definitely see a Sasia uh, detachment of just marker light farmers, um, you know, just drop down and then just, you know, put marker lights on everything. They're your yeah, marker light detachment. You have a lot of options for where to get your marker lights. So taking at least one Sasia character in an army just for this stratagem is really nice because it can be any character. It does not roll to hit. You are guaranteed to get that first marker light on several targets, and that's what you really want. That first marker light is the important one. It also, uh, as Pablo was saying, if you decide to have an entire detachment full of marker light guys, uh, yeah. it works well with the, the re-roll one of your dice per unit, uh, the yeah, other Saucia bonuses, does. just to have like a dedicated marker light contingent. But I think that you're probably going to see this a little more often in like, say, maybe a soupy detachment where you mix and match some Tauceps and you just... Uh, toss in a couple of the characters as Saucier to make sure you can always have this on board to drop down some marker lights and make sure you're rerolling ones. Yeah, yeah. and, and uh, I'm going to I'm gonna expedite this a little bit and go to Warlords real quick. Um, I oh, think yes. you're right, George, in that a Tau soup detachment is, um, pro- I think, almost mandatory. So you would need a Viorla Warlord for one extra command point. Um, I don't really see... Ooh, mm. uh, there's, so str- there's a couple of good uh, Warlord traits. There are a couple, there are a couple yeah, really good Warlord let's traits. Let's go into the Warlord traits, yeah. because the Viorla one is excellent. I actually really like it. It is, it's um, really good. But the got, Sept is bad. <laughs> sort of. Like we were saying earlier, I think Viorla opens up a very interesting kind of build. We'll see. I need to play with it a bunch before I can really assess whether or not mm. Viorla is bad or not. But I think it has possibilities. Okay. So, uh, but to, you know, the Viorla trait, uh, Academy Luminary, just gives you a straight plus one command point, which is completely unique in the game. No other Warlord trait does that. Um, and increases your aura range by three inches, which is a nice little bonus. But you're taking it for plus one command point because Tower really command point hungry. Yeah, it's just a 45 point command point, um, you know, on a character that you could use. Sometimes. It, mm-hmm. 
yeah, it uh, it is nice to see volley fire as a uh, one of the things that it buffs, but that would also yes. mean that your fire warriors need to be Viorla, and depending yeah. on your build, you may or may not want that. Yeah, um, I think it's more likely you'll see it slapped onto an ethereal because bringing out their aura range is quite big, and the ethereal's buffs are again not sept dependent. So uh, that's actually a pretty solid choice there. Whether you actually are going to see it used will depend on a lot of other stuff. Yeah, so let's talk about through Unity Devastation. The gold um, standard. This is yeah, the my going, pick exactly. for the best Warlord trait currently. I, may, I reserve the right to change that later, but it's the one I've been playing with and I have liked it. Uh, so it's uh, you pick you you pick a unit at the beginning of each of your shooting phases that's visible to your warlord, um, which is important. Uh, and then on a six plus, you you essentially rent you have to get the old rending roll. So Sixes on a six plus, you get up oh six plus to wound are better AP. Yes, yes. Uh, and that can be really big uh, if you get plus one to wound from something like the Tau Sept uh, stratagem. Um, and so you, it is only a six-inch range aura around your warlord, so it's not big, but it's a it's a shooting bonus for Tau, and it's a shooting bonus that it, you can take advantage of fairly easily. So even though it is just strictly worse than the Space Marine version, that's fine. You're better at shooting than the Space Marines are. Yeah, it, yeah, and you just essentially, like you said, you just load up everything within six inches of it, uh, and your your Tau. Shooting gun lines are what you do. Doesn't matter what your opponent's hiding, and you just blow something up. Yeah, it's uh, I also it's... quite like this one when you combine it with Long Strike, who already has a plus one to yeah. wound vehicles and monsters, which lets your uh, smart missiles wound basically any tank in the game on like threes. Uh, they're almost well, yeah. If you're cabowing up with the the Tau stratagem and everything, you're going whole hog. If you go this. whole hog, yeah. Uh, but even then, just as a, an extra little bonus to it, uh, it's a way to give your um, it's a way to give those smart missiles a little extra punch to get through maybe two or three up save tanks and de deal some meaningful damage. Yeah, I we'll we'll talk about this in the once we get to the the pluses and minuses. But I love smart missiles. I think they're one of the best things in the Tau Codex. Yeah. Uh, so going through the rest of the the warlord traits, I personally um don't like any of them. I think they're all pretty uh, vanilla generic because they only benefit your warlord. Um, the tower one, lucky. The only oh, one I feel is okay is Precision of the Hunter. Reroll ones to wound against vehicles and monsters. If you're putting on a fusion cold star, you're wounding on threes, rerolling ones against most things. That's okay. It's not yeah. exciting, but it's okay. Um, and then Hero of the Enclaves is really good on Farsight, Commander Farsight. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's six inch... Uh, heroic intervention most people don't understand how heroic intervention works it's actually a very strong rule when you can use it um but the the reason i actually find hero of the enclaves surprisingly good is because of uh what we'll get into next the tau relics and specifically the farsight relic for fusion blades um that six inch jump in and then get a couple good punches in on a unit who can't swing at you because they didn't declare a charge against you, and then just hop right back out again to shoot them because you're still a fly. You can get a lot of mileage out of it. Yeah, so so you're getting you're getting the Farsight bonus to your Fusion Blades for shooting because um, mm -hmm. they are also Fusion Blasters, or Fusion yep. Blasters, yeah, that's what they're called. Um, yeah. so, so essentially you have two Melta Guns, uh, and in melee you get two attacks 
that are also melting on attacks, except they don't get to re-roll the damage result. No. Um, uh, and that, but, that can be pretty useful. Yeah, that'll chop up, like, people don't expect Tau to do damage in close combat, no. and that guy just jumping in and, you know, being able to punch that shield captain or whoever without getting swung back at and put d6 or 2d6 damage onto him, that that's, can be a thing. Yeah. Uh, and very importantly, Hero of the Enclaves also lets you reroll misses the turn that you activate it. So it means that your, you know, three up or four up weapon skill starts being a lot more reliable. Don't they hit on twos? They hit on twos combat? in shooting and threes in close combat oh, for well, all yes. commanders Can't except have everything. for Farsight, who hits Farsight on twos hits on in twos. combat. Yeah. yeah. So this this is um I could definitely see it um on a cold star battle suit as the the notes for Sean that said mm-hmm. um, you could put on a Cold Star battle suit, move it, shoot it at, uh, maybe they've got an opponent like Mitch Pelham who has a ton of Hellhounds or a ton of vehicles. You can yeah. shoot the vehicle, blow up one, and then uh, if you guys don't know how heroic intervention works, you can actually heroically intervene six inches and tag other units, even if your opponent, even if they don't charge you. So heroic intervention reads as long as it's at the end of your charge phase, you can heroically intervene with characters even if they haven't been charged. So you as get essentially free movements as long as they charge. can, yeah. As long as the enemy declares a charge, which which usually happens, not always, um, but it, uh, yeah. So I don't if think your we opponent charges you because it is a it is a long yeah. You're right. That's answer. a long that's a, that's a long tactic. Um, uh, however, there are several there are several uh, blogs who have done some very good articles on how you use heroic intervention. Frontline has one. I think Beast Coast has one also. Uh, in any case, look look for some info on heroic intervention. It's not what you think it is, and it's very good. Yeah. Yep. All right. So, what are some relics that really tickle your fancy, George? Uh, Ooh, well, the pure troid engram neurochip is probably the best so relic good. in the game. It's. Uh, yeah. I'm not sure I would call it the best relic in the game. It's. I think inarguably the best relic in the codex. Definitely. Yeah, it's the must so, take. It. Uh, the first thing it does is it gives you a single reroll to a hit, wound, or damage roll for the guy who takes it, or anybody within six inches of him. So it just pays you back for the command point that you used for it. Yep, and then whenever command point. Yep. And then whenever anybody uses a command point, you or your opponent ah, uses a stratagem. Oh, a stratagem. Not a, not a command point. So then they use a stratagem. You roll a yes. d6, and on a six, you get a command point back. Yeah. It it is very similar to there are a whole bunch of other guys who have the same ability in other factions. You know, guard get a slightly different version of it. Blood angels get a slightly different version of it. Eldar get a slightly different version of it. It's great for them and it's great for you. You use a lot of command points, a lot of stratagems, and if your opponent's playing a good army, they're probably spending a lot on stratagems too. Yeah, and and one thing with this one is um it lets you gain command points beyond your maximum. So yes. if your opponent has a lot of strategy or a lot of strategies to use before pre-deployment, uh like the Raven Guard and like the Raven Guard one, the infiltrate ones that people Alpha Legion Raven Guard, um you drop your warlord down first so he's on the battlefield when they start using those stratagems to to deploy in the shadows and infiltrate and then you just start racking up command points. So you could start a game with if you have 15, you could start the game with two or three extra command points um, if your opponent really burns through a lot of command points. So just remember that. It's really good. Uh, yeah, I'm also, I'm also a really big fan of the uh, the Tau, uh, signature, the Tau Sep signature system, the vectored uh, maneuvering thrusters, which uh, yeah. harkens back to jump, shoot, jump, and just gives you a six-inch movement after you shoot. Um, yeah, I like it's... it a lot on a non-Cold Star commander uh, where oh, you really? can... 
I like it on a cyclic ion blaster commander who maybe wasn't going crazy in with the fusion guns. Uh, that okay. lets him put out a lot of damage and then either jump back behind friendly lines because he's probably going to be advancing uh, slower with the rest of your army. Um, and then 18 inches is also a much better range to have options to jump behind line of sight blocking terrain, whereas the fusion blaster commanders are just going to be in their face and they're probably not going to have anywhere to run to. Well, and I think fusion will stick at 18 inches, but I can definitely see the use for it. I think it is a solid choice. There are just some other very strong relics where I, I kind of think, like, am I ever going to want to spend two more command points on this in addition to the one I'm already spending? But... I can definitely see the usefulness of it. It's it's a good relic on a lot of other armies. I would take it in a heartbeat, but with a Tau army probably taking two relics already, I'm not sure if I could justify a third one. I think it's definitely a uh, depending on the battlefield kind of tactic. Since uh, that's fair, you can you can pick if you spend your command points on it as you're starting the game. So yeah, you'll know what your board looks like, and you're right. Like jumping behind cover with a commander to just keep them from being shot at. Because if you're out of line of sight, you can't be shot even if you're the closest target. So, fuck those guys. <laughs> Hide behind um, walls. It's been the Tao way since 3rd edition. It's It was great then, it's great now. Um, another big one for me is another sept-linked one, the Fusion Blades, which we've already talked Ooh, about. So good. I think this on its own is almost a good enough reason to look at taking a Farsight Detachment or a Tau Souk Detachment, um, because it changes two of your melee attacks into Melta Profile, and you have access to Fusion on your Cold Star Commander now, that guy can move 20 inches and then charge something that is a really long distance, and people do not expect Tau to be assaulting their stuff. It's it's huge. Uh, yeah. One one I wanted to give a quick highlight to uh, is the Grav Inhibitor field. Um, yeah. I know it only affects the bearer. Uh, however, for for what in, Tau Index Tau used to do, they drop down Crisis Suit bombs or Commander bombs, um, and you would typically want to charge them, right? Because you'd want to charge the commanders and kill them. Uh, this basically makes it so you put that Sasea warlord out front, um, and if they want to charge him, you, normally you would charge the drones and the the commander. Um, this time you'd have to charge the drones um, to get to the commander, uh, unless you want to unless you want to risk that minus two to your charge roll, which I don't think you really want to do, because um, Tau are really good at ranging opponents and and kind of controlling shooting distances. Um, so you can really mitigate people's charge rules with that one warlord, and you can kind of stick them with other commanders. Obviously, it's not as good because commanders are limited now. Um, but you could essentially, if your opponent doesn't want to charge that commander but wants to consolidate into him by charging the drones around him, on your turn you can just fly out of combat and shoot whatever charged you, and he's relatively safe, and he can hit hit them in close combat with fists, whatever commanders. I, I just really like it. I think it's kind of cheeky, um, and it's on the best sept. Or one, arguably the best step, Sakea. Uh, yeah, I think. I, I think the opportunity cost is a little too high for it. I think there's so many strong relics, and if you can only take, even if you're willing to throw the extra command points at buying the third relic, I just can't see that third relic being the grav inhibitor field. 
Fair enough. In the I, right I can definitely see that. matchup, I can see it being a choice. I don't think it's going to be a common choice. Uh, I feel it holds a very similar position to the Vector Thrusters, where it's going to be good in the right battlefield or against the right army, but a lot of the time, it's, it is like, you're looking, it's like, do I really want to spend two command points on this? Especially when I've got a stratagem that does basically the same thing. Yeah, well, I think I think Tower one of those armies that you're you're gonna want to spend two command points for three relics on. I think I think that's pretty fair. Maybe you definitely want to spend one for a second relic. For a second, yeah, absolutely. Third relic, like we were saying earlier, Tower really command point heavy. You know, that's true. those two command points could be an extra minus one to hit on something or a couple re rolls or something. Yeah, it's we'll we'll see how it plays out, but. My guess would be that I don't think that this is going to be a common choice. Yeah, and and the beauty of all of this is that if you're a Tau player, this is all Swiss Army knife. You, all of yeah. this is optional. Um, you can choose this relic just by having a Sasea Warlord Commander in your army, which I definitely see people having. Right, you're It'll gonna want sure. you're gonna want Sasea as a sept, I think. Um, and then you might have a Sasea Commander, and you could just throw this on him. Um, when you need it, when you need it to have need him to have it. Uh, so it, it would make him really good at. Uh, countering other mobile characters. He could dance around, um, mess with Juggerlords and Shield Captains, and kind of mess with their charge rolls a little bit, while also laying into them with really powerful Fusion Blaster firepower, or whatever. Yeah, I think that's where it's going to get its mileage, if it is a yeah. thing you take. Yeah. Um, but it, it's just, just another option that Tau players get uh, post-game, or pre-game, um, and during the game. I, th- I think Tau players have a lot of good options here. That is that is one of the big strengths of the Codex here, is it's got this Swiss RV knife feel to it. All right. <clears throat> uh, so one I would like to sort of like see what you guys think, uh, the Seismic Destabilizer. Uh, you pick either a vehicle or a unit that is benefiting from cover. I think it's an infantry unit, actually, but yeah, it's mostly what you target anyways. Uh, and you, on a ve- on the building, you roll D3, you do that many mortal wounds, who cares, no one uses buildings. On the infantry unit, you roll a number of dice equal to the number of models, and every six gets you a mortal wounds. Uh, you do it in your shooting phase, you don't give up anything to use it. I think this is actually a pretty decent little choice. So what I like about it is you use it in their shooting phase too. It's at the start of each shooting phase. I, well, it's at the start it's, of the shooting phase. I think it's, it's going to be FAQ to only yeah, do yours. That, that's an FAQ thing, but I, yeah. uh, I it's free that, damage. Yeah, that's yeah. what I like. Free about damage, free damage is, is it, nice. It's just a relic that deals additional damage does not cost you anything, anything during the course of the game. You're not giving anything up for it other than, like, a command point or two. Um, and it has the potential to, like, oh, there's, like, that, you know, ten-man unit hiding in that uh, thing. Shake them up. Give them a mortal wound or two. And maybe you get really lucky and do, like, three or four. It happens sometimes. The only thing I don't like about it is that it's got a 12-inch range. And... Sometimes you are going to be up in their face that close, but other times yeah. I feel like you're not. It is very so, short range, but the Cold Star can mitigate that. Yeah, well, the Cold Star goes where he wants. That's He's definitely yeah. one of the best carriers for a lot of these, and yes. he uh, is honestly just something you'll be seeing a lot of in your games. Yeah, you're going to have to get used to it. Okay, what about the gun replacements? What do you guys... How do you guys feel about those? Because most of them are sept-linked, which is a little awkward. I really like the supernova launcher. Um, I do too. Because I think it's the only excuse for taking a frag projector. Yeah, because 
I like the concept of the frag projector, but um, it it's just, just doesn't. Burst yeah, cannon. it's just a, just a bad burst cannon. But with this, it becomes something really special. It's yep, minus six, two eight, AP, one, two damage. Two, dam two, two damage is right. the big one. Two okay. damage, minus two AP, no line of sight, which is nice. And it's still only 18-inch range, which is a little short, but that's fine. Uh, yeah, it's, I think it's the standout of the three. Uh, the Vorla one is a flamer, and I kind of look at it and just see a really bad, like a, a well, budget. The thing um, is, it is strength six, AP one, two damage with auto hits, which doesn't matter that much. I just command, don't see anyway, putting that on one of your important battlesuit commander slots. Like Celestine or a shield I, the, the, your 12 battlesuit commander guns throughout so the game. I don't think I can. I don't think I would put one on this. If I wanted this sort of effect, I would take a Yavara. This is just how I look at it. Hmm. Uh, so. I, I don't know. I think I think like like every um, like every army, they have the uh, weapon replacement relics that are that are usually worse or usually worse in general. I think Tau probably have the best ones or some of the best ones out of all the codexes. Um, so so uh, essentially, I think that I think that. Um, oh, excuse me, guys, one second. Okay, well, while Pablo's occupied, I, I do want to talk about the Plasma Accelerator Rifle. Uh, that's the Borkan one, and it's basically a, a buff plasma rifle. Uh, it's got Strength 7, AP-3, and Damage 2. And I really like this gun not necessarily as something you spend a command point on, but just as a, uh, this is what a plasma rifle should feel like. I think the Tau Plasma is not super strong, and... I like this as kind of a template for what uh, a stronger kind of plasma might be. Yeah, and it's a shame that they that they had to create a relic um, to make a stronger plasma because I feel like plasma is probably the worst, probably the worst um, weapon that you that Tau have. I think now because um, before, I think George, I think you and I were talking about this, um, but before plasma guns uh, were Tau, they were unique in the sense that they they ignored the gets hot rule. So you got the benefit of plasma, um, but you ignored gets hot. So they were slightly better. Um, but now, obviously, plasma doesn't have the gets hot yeah. rule. It's only if you overcharge them. Um, the and plasma gun overcharging is better. Yeah, the pla tau plasma gun's a weapon that's kind of lost its way. It no longer wounds toughness uh, four guys on twos. It is extremely ineffective against light vehicles, which is something that you used to take it to do moderate damage to. Uh, it's just kind of a gun that is in the middle of a lot of things and doesn't do much. So in almost all situations, you'd rather take a burst cannon or a, a melted gun or something, or a, a, sorry, a fusion gun. But, um, you know, I, I hope the Tau see something to bring that gun back into the, the limelight because I really do like the Tau plasma. Yeah. And, and going back to what I was saying earlier, um, ultimately I think oh, as answering Sean's question, um, I don't think that the replacement relics are, are worth really looking into seriously, um, considering the tower already have so many, other than the fusion blades, which are by far the best ones. Um, and I think that's true of all of the GW codexes, is unless unless you're replacing uh, a relic that you were already planning on taking on a must-take uh, HQ unit, um, like the shield eternal replacing a storm shield on the Thunderhammer captains, in Space Marines, you're generally just not going to take those relics. Unless you're trying to be fluffy or cool. Um, 
So, you know, just this is my two cents. I don't really like those relics. Uh, yeah, I, I am a fan of the Supernova Launcher, um, mostly because you can choose if you want to spend the command point on it or not. But the downside of that is you need to uh, bring a airbursting fragmentation uh, projector to replace it with, even in games that you don't want to use it. Uh, but overall, yeah. I, I agree. Like, I like them, but I don't. Uh, I don't think you want to hedge your battle suits with flamers or plasma rifles uh, in expectation that you might need one of these in a game. Yeah. So uh, I, we're hitting the hour and a half minute mark, guys. Uh, we're going to j- jump into the our final thoughts, our highs and lows of what we think about the Codex. Um, we're not going to do a commercial break this time around. Um, I feel like we're in a good rhythm here, and I just want to finish up this Tau review. So uh, let's go ahead and talk about, um, first, some general takeaways. Uh, I just want to throw these out there before we talk about what's good and what's bad, because I am the the least experienced Tau player in the chat. Um, I, my general takeaways from the Codex are that broadsides, I think they're better. Um, I know, George, I know you're not a huge fan of broadsides, um, but I think at 140 points for eight SMS shots and the high-yield missile pods, um, with all the options that Tau get for bonuses to shooting, I, just, I, I see them making a comeback. Um, uh, ghost kills are amazing. They're they're like I think they might be the MVP unit of the Codex now that commanders have gotten nerfed or limited. Um, I think I think you're definitely going to want one or two ghost kills in your army just because they create linchpins. Uh, they can pretty much control the center of the board by themselves. Uh, that is Sean. I can hear you just fine. I can barely hear anything. Sean, oh. Uh, so we're losing Sean here to a choppy internet, guys, so I might have to cut this out of the podcast. Um, but uh, essentially, ghost uh, kills yeah. are really good. Ghost, ghost kills are ghost, really good. Yeah, ghost um, kills are insane. Uh, other uh, other awesome stuff. Uh, the Tau infantry and supporting characters have all gotten um, really good. The Fireblade hasn't changed, but the strikes getting a point cheaper is huge. Uh, Dark Strider is kind of insane. Uh, he can add plus to one to wound when you're uh, shooting with your uh, regular strikes at something. Uh, it takes maybe that uh, situation before where we were mentioning you're wounding Magnus on fours and making a squad wound him on threes, which is even crazier. Um, mm-hmm. All the Tau troops actually are really good now. Crew, uh are amazing. They are five points, so they're just super cheap, and they that pregame seven-inch move lets you kind of push out and get a little bit of a buffer against some of these more aggressive, you know, charge you turn one armies like uh, Blood Angels or Tyranids. Just having some throwaway guys to put up and take the hits for you is great. And, you know, it's just a lot of models that you can uh, use to keep parts of the area denied from Deep Strike and stuff. Um, The big suits got big buffs, uh, mostly from the stratagems the ability to kind of ignore the negatives on your damage chart with the stim injector is huge not to mention the um the the increases in the stat profiles to the uh, burst cannon and the uh, other guns um, devilfish are finally cheap enough to be useful uh it's like 110 or 115 points for a standard devilfish um and it's uh, a nice tough tank to get your breachers or strikes where you want them to be um, and they can take smart missile systems, which I'm sure Sean wanted to mention is just one of the one of the strengths of this codex is that you people can't really hide from you. They aren't going to get away with these like one or two man units that sneak away and hide in a corner. You can snipe those out. 
Um, Friday yeah. night. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, so we're experiencing some connection difficulties with uh, Sean. Uh, I'm gonna throw a tentative. Sean, are you there? Okay. So, uh, looks like Sean disconnected. Um, that's okay. So we're going to do things a little bit differently here towards the ending as we are winding down. Sean had a, a long list of highs and lows that he wanted to talk about, and I'm going to give him the chance to talk about them. Um, so what's going to happen is, is I, I think personally, Tau, Tau um, are, are still competitively viable. I think that they're different, and I think a lot of really casual Tau players are going to have a really rough time with the army. Um, it got turned in from a point-and-click army into a finesse cerebral army, in my opinion. Um, there's definitely a lot more things that it can do um and i think it actually obviously got a lot better with the codex it's definitely better than its index form um both competitively and just just uh uh fluff wise because you're not running you're not spamming 12 commanders now now you actually have to think of a tau list um instead of just spamming as many commanders as you can um so and i think the the quote-unquote tau list that you're going to see is probably a mix of stealth suits crews ghost kills um as many commanders as you can fit and then infantry and troop choices and filler to get those command points and i think that's that's pretty much what you're going to see maybe in Ivara, um they are still very expensive um but uh that that's just my opinion um george what are you planning on running with the new tau codex so i'm uh right now looking at a larger tau detachment uh just to make some some good use of that plus one to wound uh, stratagem, focus fire. Uh, it's really strong, and uh, I think it's going to help a lot with some of the bigger, tougher things that you know you're expecting to come crashing into your lines on turns one or two in the in the competitive scene. Um, I'm definitely going to have a couple of hammerheads with the uh, ion cannons. The fact that the gun now it's d6 hits on both its profiles makes it extremely strong with the multiple damage that it does, even when not overcharged. Um, I'm definitely going to have a big contingent of, uh, of troops, uh, probably at least 20, probably like 30 or 40 fire warriors and definitely at least, uh, 20 crew. Um, and I'm probably going to end up taking a swoops, uh, right now I'm looking at a, a soup detachment and a, a fire site detachment, not, not a fire site, a, a far site detachment, um, just to maybe squeeze some extra extra efficiency out of the uh, out of a, a unit of crisis suits I kind of want to toy around with. Um, crisis suits are in a rough spot, which I think you may have noticed because we haven't talked about them much at all. But uh, just running the numbers with the farsight um, with the farsight stratagem, they are almost as effective as a commander for one turn, uh, and then they really fall off after that. So it's definitely more of an alpha strike kind of, uh, of unit, but um, I want to I want to give it a shot and play around with the codex and see if I can uh, make it work or if uh, they're going to end up getting dropped for something a little more reliable like say broadsides or a couple of ghost kills. Um, but mostly just some some big heavy hitting uh, heavy hitting specialty units with uh, a lot of troops. It kind of feels like I'm playing guard in a way, but uh, you have a lot more extremely mobile aspects than uh than that sort of army normally does like with the cold star commanders so uh, i think it's going to be fun i think there's going to be a steep learning curve even coming just from index tau the amount of options that this codex gives you with the ways that you can play are really going to um, make 
playing the army continue to be interesting because you'll be making so many choices while you're playing it. Uh, it's like you said, it's no longer going to be uh, what do, how do I deal with this? Oh, I hit it with a bunch of battlesuit commanders. It's going to be more of a can I afford to use these command points here? What do I spend my stratagem? Uh, what do I use for stratagems? What do I use for relics? Um, and it'll have you take a fresh look at every game as you're setting up. I think it's going to do a good job of making games uh, feel interesting and fresh because you're going to do different things depending on who you're playing and the board you're playing on. Yeah. So, uh, all right, guys, I'm going to go get Sean. Uh, I guess the cast software doesn't really like him. That's okay. Um, he's a, He warms up to you at first, so I'm sure in the future it'll be just fine. But for now... I will be right back. George and I are going to go get Sean, and then we're going to wrap this episode up. All right, guys, we're back. I found him. Sean was kidnapped for the greater good, but Gilliman and I got him out. Sean, are you to... okay? I'm basically fine. They brainwashed me a little bit. Now I think Vespid are amazing, but aside from <sighs> that, no other side effects. Nice. All right. Uh... So in our in our abs in our absence, Sean, um, we. We need you to close out the episode. Can you do it? Are you up for it? I think I can do it. I think I can I manage. They didn't They didn't change any of my opinions about important things. <laughs> right on. Uh, so, uh, Sean, what are some more highs and lows that, that you found about the Tau Codex? So, aside from the, guys, the stuff you guys mentioned, I think the other two I would throw in, one we have sort of referenced in passing a lot of times, but never explicitly stated, the Firesight Marksman. He is the little spotter guy who originally came with a, a, a sniper drone squad. He's 24 points. He's an elite slot, so he's helping you fill a brigade. And he's a marker light on a 3-up. Uh, that by itself is just fantastic. Even if he did absolutely nothing else, he would be great. Because you can take them MSU style for a saucy accept. Uh, those guys are characters, so you can use them to trigger the saucy stratagem. Like I say, they fill a brigade, they give you a marker light that can't be targeted. They're just great little dudes. And, like, yeah, I guess they, like, add plus one to hit with sniper drones nearby as well. Sniper drones are okay, you'll probably take some to fill out a brigade or to take out those, you know, warlocks or whatever that are causing you problems. But the Firesight Marksman you'll see plenty of times on his own. He's amazing. Nice. Um, the other one is Seeker Missiles. Which, they're, they, they're a crack missile now. They're exactly like a crack missile. They just require those couple of marker light hits. They're... I think you'll see them scattered around some platforms. If people are taking those devilfish, like you guys mentioned, if people are taking broadsides, seeker missiles can really push your alpha strike up. Uh, because they're a regular weapon that benefits from all your other stuff. So, you know, if you're getting that plus one to wound, if you're getting that extra point of AP, all of those apply to your Seeker missiles as well. Uh, and I think that, although it can be tough to find space for them, you're going to see them on the vehicles and battlesuits that are able to take them. Okay. Um, as, what are some things you don't like about the Codex? Uh, crisis are not good. They didn't change it all, and yeah, there's a farsight stratagem for them, and if you put all your eggs into one gigantic basket, you can make it kind of dangerous, but, like, you drop in, you annihilate four units with your huge crisis Death Star, and 
then what's like now they charge their characters and shit into you and your whole unit goes away in really short order um crisis are just they're still bad i'm sorry guys i really wish games workshop would have done something for them they did absolutely nothing for them you're not going to see crisis at the top tables there's still 100 points a model basically not quite you're talking 70 to 90 but yeah they're very near to and there's just like why would i take a crisis when i can take a ghost keel a riptide a broadside almost anything else in the codex there's so many good units in the codex and the crisis are not one of them um apart from that um i I'm really disappointed that Piranha aren't great. I love Piranha, but I don't think they're particularly good. They used to be the secret the secret good. Yeah. Um, Hammerheads, I'm honestly kind of shocked they didn't get a double shot rule like yeah. Fire Prisms and Lehman Russes did. Yeah, it, because, I mean, it seemed obvious. Like, they cost as much as those tanks, but are just worse. So I don't think you'll see a lot of Russes around, or a lot of Hammerheads around. What do you think of the um, the ion upgrades? Do you think, I think that ion helps is a little way bit? To go, um, you, the ion is basically the same price as rail now, um, and it is just statistically a better gun. Uh, but I don't think it's enough. Uh, the problem with hammerheads is not that they don't have good guns. The problem is that they're very vulnerable to being shot and dying, mm, and yeah. so they don't have good enough firepower for how vulnerable they are. What I do like, if you feel like trying out hammerheads is they're your ballistic skill hit on threes holders for seeker missiles they are and if you're taking hammerheads you're taking long strike because he's basically just a better hammerhead um so they're hitting on twos realistically and they do get those seeker missiles so that is one of the best places to get your seeker missiles at if you're gonna do it you know long strike and two friends each with a pair of seeker missiles that's a lot of shots coming out first turn with really long range but at the end of the day, I don't think they're worthwhile. Um, but you can have fun with them at your local tournament or maybe your your GT, but don't take them to LVO. <laughs> yeah. uh, the other one that I think other people might be, may disagree with me on here, but I'm going to stick by it. I don't think the ghost kill is that good. Um, it didn't change that much. The only thing that changed about the ghost kill was burst cannons went down two points and the fusion collider went down nine points. So most Ghost Kill loadouts are more expensive than they were before because several of your signature systems went up in price. And yeah, it's super resilient against shooting, but it doesn't really hit that hard. And if you're not really doing anything with it, who cares how tough it is? Um, Maybe it shields a commander, but maybe it just kind of sits there and dicks around all game. You spent 200 points on it. Uh, For my money, I'll take a Riptide over a Ghost Kill every day. Wow. Because uh, that three-up invuln with drone protection is huge, whereas the ghost keel is realistically only minus one to shoot at. People are going to kill those drones. You're not going to get minus two past the first turn. Mm-hmm. So, um, very well-reasoned well yeah. and wrong argument. Well, yeah, that's fair. Uh, <laughs> we may see someone use, you know, triple ghost keel and just blow me out of the water on this one, yeah. but I am not impressed by the ghost keel these days. Fair I'm enough. I'm trying to work them into a list, and I just can't do it. Okay. Um, what what else are what else are some things that you just don't you don't don't fancy at all about the codex? I I'm gonna have a whole article on why I think the way they handled commanders was wrong in this codex. 
Um, I don't agree with most of the people who are complaining about commanders and they're sort of like oh you know no codex other than tau got this treatment and you know it's like well no codex other than tau was having the same problem so that's not a very good argument but at the same time i don't think the way they dealt with commanders was a good choice it's a big involved subject that I'm not going to get into here, but uh, I I just think that their com- their decisions on commanders were very lackluster. Um, okay, it's fair enough. It's it is just poorly handled overall. Um, the, the what I mean the most one of the most baffling parts is like the new XV8 commander. He's like you save four points. Oh, I have a theory. Yeah, I have a theory for him. That theory is GW got really sick of people proxying. Crisis suits yeah, yeah. as the big commanders, so they said, "Here, have a bad version. You can use that. If you want to play the other ones, you gotta well, buy the new models." And the bizarre <laughs> thing about that is, you you only save four points, but you lose a wound. That's not worth it. But at the same time, it almost doesn't matter. Like typically, when characters characters are very binary. They are either invulnerable to everything because you cannot shoot at them and thus are completely untouched, or the enemy is able to shoot or assault them and they die immediately. Uh, And commanders especially are that way because they have no invulnerable save, they only have three up armor. So, like, minus one wound is almost meaningless. It just, it doesn't matter. Right. Uh, I have a low that I'd like to throw in here. Um, I think that uh, the fact that um, you can't take cyclic ion blasters on your uh, cold star commanders is really odd, kind of out of left field. It's it's it, pretty clearly something yeah. they implemented late sk- game in the codex because the kit comes with the cyclic ion blaster and you can't right. use it, and that's yeah. that's not a thing GW does very often. It feels like a, a playtesting uh, kind of update. Um, yeah. And and at the same time, while I'm sad that happened to the Tau, I'm glad that we can see that the, the playtesting is doing something and is 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 making changes that, at the very least, they think will make the game more balanced and remove yeah. some oppressive options. I appreciate they are working to balance the thing, but like with the actual commander of one per ta- one per detachment limitation, I think it's the wrong way to do that. Um, if you are implement if you're implementing these hard restrictions of just oh you're not allowed to do this because it's too good it's like well you should have rebalanced things so that it wasn't too good not prohibited us from doing it right yeah Yeah. so uh i think that pretty much wraps up the episode um really quick final last question simple answer are tau still competitively viable are they a top tier army um, I don't think they're a top-tier army. I think they're a, an army you can play competitively, but uh, as a Xeno faction, uh, I feel like you need a much more blatantly powerful book to start, you know, busting heads like the Eldar are doing, um, because you lose access to the uh, ability to take allies from all your friends and shore up weaknesses in your list. Yeah, I'm kind of with George here. As long as Eldar and Imperial Chaos Soup are as strong as they are right now, Tower not top here. There's way too many ways for them to get minus one to hit, or better, uh, and they have way too many tools against you. That said, we're expecting some nerfs on those armies here in the near future, hopefully. So, 
if they radically change the way all of these factions with the Alpha Legion, Talk, Raven Guard, whatever the hell the Admech one is, if they change all of those to be more in line with the Tau and Tyranid defensive bonuses, you may see Tau come to the top, because I think what's killing Tau right now is Universal Minus Ones, and Tau just can't handle that with BS4 up. Yeah, and I, I actually have a, an elegant fix to propose to GW um, to the minus one to hit, because I think overall they've done a really good job of internally balancing 8th edition um, when it comes to faction-specific rules. Um, other than the minus one to hit, a lot of the faction-specific rules aren't overtly powerful, but they do add a lot of flavor and uniqueness to the game, and I think they're overall really positive. Um, I think that the minus one to hit rule should just be something like until this wound has suffered damage for the first time this phase, or the shooting phase, um, or something actually, like that. What I would actually and do then it to shuts change off. it would just be make it um, the same as the Tau Tyranid ones, plus one armor save, or or you count as being in cover. Um, minus one to hit is, is just really, really strong. Yeah, I mean, I, I could see that the the counting as being in covers makes sense, um, especially for like the Raven Guard where they're, um, you know, in the shadows, they're hiding. Um, right. But uh, I don't know. I I think the minus one to hit is still cool because um, it's still very oh, powerful. I but, love yeah. it when I, I play think my Eldar. Yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> of course. Um, yeah, I think it's super cool and really flavorful. But I think the most difficult part about part about it from a game design perspective is how severely it affects different armies. Yeah. Uh, Space Marines can kind of shrug it off, but the four plus armies like Tau and Guard really struggle with it. And if you have a shooty orc list, just throw your guns out the window. You lost half your yeah. firepower. Yeah. yeah, and it shouldn't stick around for the whole shooting phase. I don't think so. It shouldn't be like a an army wide thing. Period. Um, yeah. In some capacity, there are um, lots of ways to fix it. Extend the distance that a plot that it gets negated at. You know, if it's eighteen inches instead of twelve, that is suddenly a lot less powerful. It's twenty four inches. I don't know if you even take it at twenty four inches. Yeah, you can um, make it only apply to certain units, um, like uh, a rhino. Well, uh, rhinos don't have minus one to hit, but uh, a fire no, but prism shouldn't have a minus one to hit. It's no. a giant grav tank. And and that's a whole weird issue with the whole space marine. That's oh, true. our tanks don't get it, but everyone else's do. And yeah. I don't know. That's that's a whole other kettle of fish that we don't need to open right at the end of the episode here. But there are <laughs> lots of ways to fix it, and it needs it, something needs to be done. Or I feel that these minus ones are going to continue dominating the game. Absolutely. All right, guys. Sean, George, thank you for coming on and enlightening me. Uh, I am not a space commie yet, um, but I do I do like the insight that you guys put into the Tau Codex, and um, I went into this podcast thinking one thing about the Tau Codex, and I'm, I've definitely changed my mind a bit. So thank you very much for coming on. Thanks, Thanks Pablo. Uh, we uh, we haven't turned you into a space commie, but uh, maybe we can put you halfway down and call you a space turkey. Uh, no, our our socialist like fruit. indoctrination programs will get him one of these days. Uh, he doesn't even realize that the air has already been uh, aerosolized with some, uh, agents. Yeah, uh, fluoride in the drinking water, my friend. That's what does it. Mm-hmm. For those of you listening at home, thank you very much for being the best listeners ever. Oh, or in a car. I know a lot of people like to listen to me while you're driving, as well as while you're painting. You guys I are the do best. It at work. <laughs> Sean does it at work, I mean, so like, do a true, I, so. like a true, like a true, or at work. I apologize for all of you people who are listening at work. Um, you should probably be working, but I'm not going to push too hard about that. 
Uh, <laughs> thank you very much for listening. As always, if you guys want to email me, frontlinegamingpdpab at gmail.com. I've been a little bit behind in my emails. I've gotten a lot of emails uh, lately, a little influx of new players or new new listeners, um, which usually happens when a lot of new listeners come to a real, particularly popular episode. Uh, so I'm going to get to those emails as best as I can, but keep sending those emails. I love getting them. Um, you guys are awesome. And let me know what you guys think about the recording, how it sounded, how the audio sounded. I'm going to do my best to make sure all of our voice volume levels are the same. Um, but remember, this was recorded on an entirely new platform. So this is brand new to me. Um, we've already got a hiccup with Sean. Um, Sean just wasn't on, his computer just wasn't on board, but we'll fix that for next time. And that's it. Thanks very much for listening and have a good one.